0: Welcome to the Dunked On Basketball Podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to have you with us for this episode. Apologies for the travel mic for this section, just the intro, and then the first part, I'm I'm on the road, so is Nate. We recorded most of this episode. It's something we've actually been asked to do for a long time, and that is going back through the last few drafts and picking our greatest hits, our greatest misses. And also what we learned from that process, you know, like if, if there's a player we misevaluated or we evaluated correctly, what we learned from that process. It was really fun to do, and it was useful to go back and, you know, kind of think about how different players affected our evaluation. So that is the meat of this episode, but I wanted to keep things current, keep things topical, and that involved keeping up on the news that has happened since we recorded the, our last episode and that invol and that was the awards podcast that we did on on Tuesday and so to help me out with that is our dear friend Dan Feldman of NBC Pro Basketball Talk. So Dan and I do the news, you know, starting with Brandon Ingram and going through everything else important that has happened over the last little while and then that will go straight into the recording that Nate and I did on the draft lessons and hits and misses and that will be the entire podcast so i hope you enjoy it and apologies again that the audio quality isn't as good as our normal standard in the beginning my, my my travel mic's a little bit wonky so apologies about that but that will only be for the news part it's clean as a whistle right after that thanks so much for coming on and helping out thanks for having me unfortunately we have to start this with Brendan ingram and the lakers with the Concerning reporting after he'd been dealing with a sore shoulder that with further testing, Brandon Ingram has deep venous thrombosis in his arm. If you've heard of DVT before, unfortunately in a basketball context, it is from Chris Bosch. Fortunately, this is not as severe in either repetition or degree as what Bosch went through. But this is concerning. He's going to miss the rest of the year. And, We'll have to monitor this moving forward for the rest of his career.
1: Yeah, I mean, I like to look at the positive side, and thankfully they caught this, and it can get treated, and hopefully this is the last you hear about it. When I think it gets especially scary, and like you said, the severity is different than Chris Bosch, but I think uh, when it's multiple instances, that's when it really becomes a game-changer, when the first thing they try does not stop it from happening again. Uh, so maybe at this point, this is good news that they caught it and are treating it, and hopefully this is it.
0: Right, and yeah, the, so the, there's a difference in severity and repetition. So severity, this didn't get all the way to being a pulmonary embolism, which is a much bigger deal. That is has a much higher chance of being you know, like fatal, going into those kind of consequences. And recurrence, as you said, is something that's really important because basically on the anticoagulants that they use to, to treat this – it, most teams, including the Miami Heat, this is part of what happened with Bosh, are uncomfortable playing a guy because if you got certain injuries, it could be catastrophic. Like if you know if you had a, a, a head cut or something like that. So basically while you're doing that treatment, they don't have to deal with it. And the problem, as you said, is that if that treatment doesn't work, so let's say there is a subsequent one, then the treatments that they go to then to like keep a person alive – then those treatments make it very hard to play a contact sport, and obviously basketball is a contact sport.
1: Right. And so, you know, there's nothing to do but wait and hope for the best because from what I can gather, it seems like we have all the reason to believe that this will get treated well, this incident of it. The question is whether it reoccurs naturally in his body again, and, you know, I don't think there's any from what i can tell i'm not a medical expert either but from what i can tell there's nothing to do but just hope that it doesn't after you treat this one the best way you can
0: and and i'm sure that he will have the best he'll have the best people looking at this and i mean it's we'll have to keep an eye on it we we hope for the best he's had a really nice stretch of games you know especially since the all-star break and was was really showing some promise whether that would have ended up keeping him in LA or potentially being a part of a deal for someone else we don't know but yeah well we'll have to see what this happens moving forward i i wish him the absolute best and with the lakers also i mean we're seeing this formal basically transition in their season LeBron James is going to be on a minutes limit, is not going to play back-to-backs. I think he played 30 minutes in their loss to the Celtics on Saturday. But also, Lonzo Ball might miss the rest of the season due to his ankle issue. And I, I like something that Luke Walton said when they were when he was talking about it, about that Lonzo did not have a healthy offseason last year, and that that is an exceedingly important thing for young players to get better because they know what they need to work on and they get to do that. And so, if they can be overly cautious with him now and give him a healthy off season, I'm all for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it is something that I think when we're just watching and counting games, games missed, games played, that we can easily overlook is that developmental time. Uh, I think that had something to do with Donovan Mitchell's slow start this season. Uh, that he was not healthy throughout the off season and couldn't train the same way that he w- was used to and wanted to. And so, yeah, it was a big deal. And, you know, this is, this is a point in the year where it's tough to gauge the severity of an injury for somebody like Lonzo Ball. Like, he's clearly hurt. It's clearly significant. Would he be returning to play this season if the Lakers were still realistically in the playoff race? Maybe, maybe not. There's just no way of telling because they're not. And so they're always going to be cautious.
0: The last piece of news on the Lakers is that Kuzma's still missing time with his ankle issue, but he should be back soonish. I'm guessing they'll be cautious with him as well, but it's not a severe in- issue. And I want to transition into something that's near and dear to both of our hearts, which is the kind of the logistics of the league itself. Brian Windhorst had a piece that kind of coincided and reflected on Adam Silver's comments during Sloan, and he talked about how there was a midseason report that both TV ratings and ticket sales are slightly down this season. Overall ticket revenue is slightly up. But that has a couple of really important implications, that combination of factors for the league. Now, how that affects let's say next year's salary cap will depend on what the league's estimates were and we don't have access to that information, at least I don't. But potentially, you know, T V ratings that can be a, a big factor in the next television deal, which is still a little ways away. But if you think about the the arc of the league, the T V deal is the most important part of revenue and thus of the salary cap for a given year.
1: Right. And so when I hear that combination of ticket revenue is up, ticket sales are down, that says to me ticket prices are too high, that the the teams throughout the league are charging too much for tickets. It's too hard for fans to get in. So yes, maybe you make a little bit more money in the short term by doing that. Maybe. I mean, revenue is up. I guess, I guess you do. But the drawback is in a, you know a business like the NBA, you need to capture fans attention and keep it over their lifetimes. You know, you need ticket prices low enough where people can get in, get hooked on the NBA and want to watch it, want to consume it, want to buy more tickets. And when you have fewer people at your games, you're not doing that. And so when it's that combination, I do wonder about the strategy for long-term growth.
0: I do too, and that's also ticket sales are meaningfully different from gate revenue. You know, gate revenue is basically includes the other stuff that people buy when they are at the arena, and if that money is slightly tied to how many people are there, and it, and it definitely is, okay. then you know you have fewer people buying food, buying merchandise, all that kind of thing. And basketball, you know, it, as you and I can both attest to, it is a fantastic sport to watch live, and so you want people to have that experience and want them to come back. So we'll see where it goes. Also, in in Wendy's reporting. The Warriors lead the NBA in gate revenue per game, $3.4 million per game, followed by the Knicks. And that's striking because the Warriors are about to move into their new building. Okay. So if they're leading the league in gate right now, that number could get ridiculous next year. And the Grizzlies are last at less than $1 million per game.
1: I always wonder, I mean, those numbers are very interesting, but I always wonder how much does it differ between teams, uh, the cost of putting on a game? Is it a significant difference? Like are the Knicks pay, you know, because they're in New York, do they have to pay uh, arena employees far more than other teams? Are there other costs associated with doing it in New York that aren't felt in Memphis or is revenue a pretty good approximation for, uh you know not the number but just the relative profit among the teams or is there a big difference
0: that's a great question, and I mean, you do get into the circumstance of um, increased costs, but also, I mean, there are a lot of team-specific circumstances, like what what portions of the revenues do they actually create? Like, there are some organizations that own their arena, and then they keep a lot more of it, and then there are other ones that use, like, managing groups or things like that. Like, the Warriors do not own their current arena, but they will own their new one. So, yeah, there are a lot of complicated things, but I believe that, and I, do not, I am not an expert in revenue sharing. That is a potential project for me this summer, but I don't know. But, like, that... Usually, from what I understand, the um, the revenue sharing involves something like gate profits. So then some of the – if there are additional costs, some of those might just be borne by the teams. Of course, they're not giving away all of their extra revenue. It's just a portion. Sure, sure. The other interesting piece of league-wide news that I think is significant is that I've been an advocate for a long time that the NBA should do preseason games in Australia. I, there is a fantastic – audience for it, something that Dunked On has been, it's been a huge part of Dunked On since the very, very beginning. And so they're doing, before the FIBA World Cup, Team USA and the Australian Boomers are going to play two games in Marvel Stadium, which is in Melbourne. And there have already been over 90,000 tickets sold for those games. And so I think that's a nice sign that there's a lot of interest for the sport, especially because we don't know exactly who's going to play for either one of those countries at that point. But I, I like to see interest in a different country.
1: Yeah, so we were just talking about long-term growth of the league. That's where it is, Uh, at least definitely in the league's mind. You know, we can question domestically, internationally. It's a great plan. They're getting the, the league out there around the world. People are interested. Events like this are just fantastic for growing interest in the league.
0: To me, the the next place to go in terms of importance, mostly because we don't know exactly what Towns, and we'll get to him soon enough, is that Joel Embiid is finally going to make his return he, on Sunday. He, we're recording this before that game happens, but Ramona Shelburne reported on Saturday night that he's expected to return. He, Embiid missed eight games. The Sixers went 4-4 four and four without him. Hopefully this you know, this is just kind of a part of maintenance and that he'll be fine moving forward. We're just going to have to see. That's something we don't know. And it's incredible that Philly, you know, they they made all these moves and developed this tantalizing starting five that has only played 73 minutes together in four mm-hmm. games and has a basically a plus 26 net rating. now that's going to drop when you in, increase the sample size because I, that it's it's almost impossible for me to believe that almost any lineup could be that good. but if it can be you know a huge positive force for them then the sixers are a very different team in terms of the Eastern Conference.
1: yeah I mean especially MB being the missing link because the seventy76ers have been so weak at backup center. that that it is just so important to get him out there in particular. If you you have other missing pieces from that lineup, I think there are easier ways on that roster to compensate with him beat out. You just can't.
0: In Houston, another piece of good news, James Harden had an X-ray on his right wrist, came back negative. He's expected to play on Sunday. I'm going to keep an eye on that because the Rockets are, of course, battling for seeding. Harden's trying to win his second consecutive MVP award. Mm So whether this is something he's playing through or something that is just not not that bad will be incredibly important to keep an eye on.
1: Yeah, I mean, Rift is one where, especially the way he plays, it could be huge for how he plays. It's also one where, if he has to step away and miss some time, he should be able to have his conditioning right when he comes back.
0: Right, and then another smaller piece of Houston news, uh, Kenneth Freed has a left adductor strain. He's missed the last few games. It's probably going to miss through at least Monday as well. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Another return, DeMontis Savonis, who's missed a, a series of games due to an ankle issue, he should be back as well, and another team that has, you know, they have the depth to handle an absence, like, like the Rockets do with Farid now that Capella is back, but Savonis is an important part of what they do well.
1: Yeah, I mean they have such a interesting and good one-two punch at center between Sabonis and Miles Turner. There is no give there, and uh, I don't know about the long-term fit and the cost of keeping both of those guys. But while you have them, and Sabonis is on this relatively cheap, rookie-scale deal, it's uh it's a very nice one-two punch.
0: I alluded to this before. We're just going to have to find out what what happens with Carl Anthony Towns. He limped off the court just before the end of regulation of a game they eventually won in overtime against the Washington Wizards. It is very good that Towns left the court under his own power. He's going to have an MRI on Sunday. MRI results are not yet available. And there is competing pressure here because – Minnesota's out of the playoff picture. They don't need to push too hard. But Carl Anthony Towns is still in serious consideration for an all-NBA spot, and that makes a massive difference for him financially because this is the year that triggers, as far as I've heard what happens with his contract, that triggers potentially being eligible for above the 25% max.
1: Right, that's correct. So it's $32 million over the next five years on the line, and this is the only year he can earn it. He needs to make all-NBA this year. It doesn't matter future years for this contract extension that he's already signed. And so it is a big deal for him, especially because I think he needs to make up ground. Like he's in the mix, but if you did all NBA voting today, I, I don't think he would make it. I think he'd be behind Jokic and Bede, uh maybe Anthony Davis, Uh, maybe Rudy Gobert, but he's been playing so well lately, Towns. uh, Towns, since he came back from that car crash, has just been on a tear, uh, seems to have hit another level as a player. It's a small sample. Maybe we'll just look back and say it was a blip. But there are some signs that it's real progress. He's passing better out of double teams. His defense looks a little sharper. Uh, It does seem to be real progress. And maybe if he kept this up and stays healthy the rest of the year, he could make up that ground in that All-NBA race and get – get to the point where he actually makes one and isn't just somebody who's saying, well, he's in the mix. Uh, But he does need to make up that ground. I don't think he's going to get any sympathy votes of, well, he would have made it if he didn't get hurt. He needs to do something positively, and to do that, he needs to be on the court. And from him, I guarantee he wants to get out there uh, with his mindset of just, just to get them into the playoffs. I mean, I think it's a long shot, but they're technically still in the race, and I don't think he's somebody who's Giving up on that just because it, you and I can look and say, "Oh, it's almost unrealistic."
0: Right, especially considering he's only been in the playoffs once in his career, and that was the short series at the hands of the Houston Rockets. So I can imagine motivation to be in that mix and to to get back there. And another unfortunate by an unfortunate piece of news for the for the Wolves is that I was hopeful Robert Covington was going to be back soonish, but John Krasinski reported that while there haven't been any setbacks with Covington, he needs to make progress before he's ready and that he might not be cleared to return, and this isn't directly from Saunders, but like that he might not be cleared anytime soon, so to kind of pump the brakes on this idea that he could come back, and that, to me, also puts a damper on their playoff hopes that the Wolves have had a bunch of strong performances recently, including their win over Oklahoma City.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you want to put that one on awards, I don't think it's quite as significant as as Towns having that $32 million on the line, that uh, Covington is an all defense candidate, uh, especially if he gets back to play enough games, but maybe even still otherwise. And, Uh, At one point during the season, I even had him as a fringe all-NBA candidate. It seemed like he was playing. So I don't think he can get back in that race after missing this time, but all Defense maybe.
0: We could do a series of quick hits in terms of mostly focusing on point guards because that's just where they happen to be in the sheet. Uh, Drew Holiday and Etuan Moore are both going to miss about the next week. Not surprising considering the Pelican situation that if they would be more cautious, Drew has an ab strain. Etuan Moore has a quad contusion. So we'll, we'll monitor that moving forward. Isaiah Briscoe of the Magic has a small meniscus tear, and the good news for him is that depending on what what procedure, well, like what they choose to do, whether it's, you know, because if it's small, then they, they might end up doing a trim. A four- to eight-week recovery time would keep him out for the remainder of the regular season or close to it, but he can be back for when the Magic have to make their decision on his contract for next year. He has been their backup point guard, so it's good if he can be healthy before that. Uh, Fred Van Vliet is ahead of pro- according to Nick Nurse, he's ahead of process with uh, his return from, from thumb surgery. I actually saw him on the court during warmups for the Raptors, I, I was at their game that they won against the Pels. So he might be back in roughly two weeks, that would be very nice for them. And we're gonna have to keep an eye on Ricky Rubio because Rubio missed Friday's loss in, in Memphis due to left hip tightness, and that's more important because he missed a few games last year due to a left hip issue. So it sounds like the Jazz were being cautious, and so, hopefully, that's all that all there is. But that's you know that that could be important because, I mean, we've seen that especially because Utah has this thing where their point guards are all hurt at the same time. That while Donovan, <laughs> Donovan Mitchell can can take the lead. They still need depth at the position for obvious reasons.
1: Right. I mean, I don't know if you want to be completely comfortable with Donovan Mitchell handling that role like that and all the time. And even if he is, then you need somebody else on the wing. And so that trickles down.
0: Another one without a a, a definite prognosis yet. Rodney Hood left Saturday's game with a hip issue. We're not sure if he's going to miss any additional time, but he has been huge for Portland since they acquired him a little bit before the deadline. And He is a pending free agent. He has had plenty of injuries in his past, so we're just going to, you know, it's a verify one, and and they could be getting Evan Turner back soon, so that will mitigate some of it. But Hood has been awesome.
1: Yeah, he's played very well in Portland. Some of that is hot shooting. I'm not sure how sustainable everything he's been doing is, but he he looks good there.
0: Another couple of quick ones that we can run through. Uh, Dwight Howard tweaked his hamstring during a workout, I believe that was Fred Katz who had that and so it sounds and feels to me like Dwight's gonna miss the remainder of the season we don't know for sure and strangely TJ Warren is still out with this ankle issue he last played January 22nd and we don't have a timetable now the Suns are of course firmly out of it but Warren you know is he is he a part of their future is he somebody that they would consider trading depending on where they go in terms of the draft and free agency I mean we're I'm not sure to be genuinely to be completely honest yeah, they
1: he's a tough fit in a lot of situations. The Suns need to figure out what their situation is before they can evaluate whether he fits into it. But he is a tricky fit, and so those are real questions.
0: The Milwaukee Bucks have been playing without George Hill. Uh, he's missed seven straight with a strained groin. Sterling Brown has a wrist issue. He is out as well. Uh, Tony Snell actually got a $100,000 bonus because of the Bucks winning 50 games. And depending on how far they go in the playoffs, he can do that as well. And then I believe those are structured that he also has them for next year. And then that makes them, once you achieve a bonus, that changes it from either either it makes it likely or it already was. And so, so then that counts towards their books for next year, at least until, you know, if it doesn't happen for the subsequent year. And then another piece that I thought was interesting of news is that Hassan Whiteside, uh, um, one of the Miami reporters talked to him about coming off the bench, which is something he's done. He missed some time, and then Bam had taken his starting spot, and he's he's okay with it, at least for the time being. He has a player option for next year that I think everybody expects him to pick up. But if he's you know we'll, we'll, if he's okay coming off the bench, then that does open some things up for Miami. Even though you know the the it, and for, as somebody who has been fascinated by his success in the on off metrics for a long time. Switching his role around could be a test case for that.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I like San white side a lot more than you do. I, I'm very fast. I think his story is great that he, where he came from to get where he is. I think it's just fantastic. And he did that himself. He worked very hard. Nobody thought he'd make it back in the day. He was playing in Lebanon, uh, he made a vaccine and be at a minimum contract. And then he, the next year he was on a max contract, like is a great special story that he earned. And I understand why he's, resistant to coming off the bench or taking outside instruction because those are the getting that outside instruction and people in here are like that didn't help him earlier in his career now I believe in the heat system I think if if Hassan Whiteside listened more to Eric Spolstra and did some of those things it would be better for him in the long run but maybe this is a sign of, of progress and maturity that you know hey if the heat think this is the best thing for their team for me to come off the bench like I'll try and make the best of it that's That's what you want to hear as a team, and that's the message he's giving right now.
0: It is the message he's giving right now. Going to another team competing for the playoffs in the East, Charlotte, Michael K. Gilchrist strained his left knee uh, on a fall during the Wizards game, did not return. We do not have a timeline, at least nothing that I've heard as of now. And something that you and I actually discussed on Real GM Radio when you were on a couple weeks ago, Sam Amick of The Athletic is reporting that many around the league, and that does not mean it's definitive, but many around the league expect Kemba Walker to leave the Hornets. It's there, There's no clarity, there's nothing specific, but he is a huge story, and whether he stays in Charlotte or goes somewhere else, because of, especially now that Bledsoe was off the market, that could swing a, a couple of teams' futures, depending on how it goes.
1: See, I wonder sometimes if somebody like Kemba Walker, how much it's wishful thinking that he's going to leave, because I think so many teams believe that it's going to be hard for them to land a star. Like, how many teams do you really think are going after Kevin Durant or Kyrie Irving this summer? It's a small list. Like, it gets – I think a lot of fans miss this when it's reported, oh, the Knicks are interested, the Clippers are interested. Yeah, every team would want a player like that, but not every team goes after them. They believe they're in too small of a market or – don't have the right glamour to say or whatever they just believe that they can't get those players and they don't try and get them. Kemba Walker strikes me as the best player who a lot of teams feel is attainable because he's been in Charlotte, he's used to a small market, he's used to not winning enough. You know, he's not the highest profile guy. I feel like a lot of teams feel he's attainable and maybe that leads to some wishful thinking.
0: Beyond that, he's also a couple of different teams backup plan. Like I th- I think the Knicks are the easiest one here not only because he's a New York City native, but because if Kyrie Irving decides to go elsewhere, if they get Kevin Durant, Kemba Walker is probably the most likely, the most logical fit to go there and be at the level of quality that Durant would expect. So they would like to see him be willing to leave at bare minimum anyway. So this this reporting is always (laughs) nebulous. Yeah.
1: K- Kemba has said a couple times like he couldn't see himself playing for the Knicks and you know, he could always walk that back a little bit and say you know well that was well was with Charlotte like now I'm happy to it was just at that time I was focused on Charlotte. He could always spin it that way but they struck me as the kind of comments that somebody doesn't make until they've really thought through and I think he decided he doesn't want to play in New York and going to play for your hometown team is often unfulfilling for players a lot of players think they want to do it and don't actually enjoy it and the comments too he could have meant a lot of different things. I'm not in his head. But to me, my read on it was he decided he would want to play in New York, and so then was saying that.
0: Totally a fair way to interpret what we've heard overall. In Brooklyn, Travion Graham, Kemba's former teammate, missed Saturday's game with a back issue, but it's sounding like Kuroks was going to start over him anyway, so there would certainly be a place for Graham in the rotation, but there maybe is a little bit less urgency. They can be more patient with him as there can be for a playoff spot as well. Kyle Anderson, it's been this weird thing. He's only played in two games since January 12th, and the last one was January 30th, and he's getting an, an anesthetic in- injection in his right shoulder in an attempt to alleviate pain, and it's going to be about two weeks until we hear something more. This has largely been a loss season for him. Now, he's under contract for another few years, and Memphis has a lot of decisions to make this summer, but not really knowing what they have in Kyle Anderson is a challenge. Yeah. I mean, I, I think
1: we do know what they have. I guess maybe you don't know his health and everything, but he's been around long enough that I think he has shown what he is as a player. It's a pretty good player. Um, I don't I'm not sure how much mystery there is left in his game because he came in so advanced. I know he's fairly young, but he came in so advanced.
0: Yeah, I was I guess I was thinking about it more in terms of availability, which is something that they're used to considering. Yeah. Now he is I, I would anticipate he'll be significantly more durable than Chandler Parsons. This does not appear to be from what we know, from the limited amount we know, it doesn't appear to be, you know, as persistent. As, as that, But, you know, we'll, we'll, it'll, it'll take some time for it to resolve, and hopefully he can be right for next year. And, I mean, my feeling is that Anderson, there's this weird parallel with Memphis that they have a lot of guys who, like, like Jaron Jackson prominently, I think he's better as a 5 than a 4, and Kyle Anderson is better as a 4 than a 3. So if they can get enough wings to slide those guys to their proper positions, it would be very useful.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, that's always the challenge, right? Getting enough wings, not enough to go around.
0: Right, and they have a, a fascinating... Decision to make it, and and decision is probably overstating it in terms of their own draft pick because they can, you know, if they want to win an extra couple games and kind of push for it, play Mike Conley and all that, they can not ensure, but they can make it pretty likely that they convey their pick to Boston this year, which would then remove the obligation. It would be top six protected and unprotected the following two years, and there's a rationale to, to to say, hey, we want to just get this out of the way, especially because if the potential of that being an unprotected pick in a year that they're still figuring stuff out is, that would be, it wouldn't be catastrophic, but it would be pretty devastating because that could be a really valuable player. Right, and this is
1: something that is always tough to project and doesn't often follow what the conventional thinking is at the time, but this draft at that range where they would be conveying the pick this year doesn't look particularly strong right now.
0: Yeah, and there there is always a risk, I mean, going back to the Gerald Wallace Damian Lillard thing that you don't you don't want to necessarily say, oh, they're only X number of players. But the other mm-hmm. thing, like, let's say they got to nine because that pick is top eight protected. You're also by getting to that point, you're ensuring that the only way you keep the pick is if it's great. You know, that way it's it's top four, maybe even number one. So there I don't know, there is some merit to that that either you keep it because it's great or you lose it and it's not as good.
1: Right. I mean, to me, if I'm the Grizzlies, I'm trying to keep the pick. I think even in this weaker draft, having a, a top eight or a a top eight pick is a nice thing to have. And there's always hope that in a future season, whenever you're conveying it, that maybe you make a leap up. Maybe, maybe Mike Conley is fully healthy. For the same year that Jaron Jackson really makes the leap and all the talent he's shown this year, he becomes just a, a force and your role players play well, and you could be conveying a pick that's not even in the lottery. Uh, I would rather have that possibility and keep what I would know to be a high pick this year than worry about like, oh, it's slightly better to give up a top six protected pick the next year. Uh you know, if you're in the top six next year they're okay, you know, where you have your pick, but it it gets hard to To shoot for those ranges, I would rather just when I have a potential high pick in front of me in a lost season, I would rather keep it.
0: I'm conflicted. I don't think I really have a a firm opinion on it on it yet. I also, for me, it's hard because I don't know this draft class particularly well. I've heard that it's not it's not strong outside of the top, but I need to see more guys, and and that is an important part of the analysis, even though it can't be definitive of oh this is a three guy draft or a one guy draft or whatever. But that that is you know a consideration and also how good the 2020 draft is which is something i absolutely don't know last piece of news the chicago bulls will retain john paxson and gar foreman in their front office roles for next year michael Reinsdorf said we believe and this is a direct quote we believe they've done a great job i know that in this market with some of our fans and some in the media they look at it differently that perplexes me
1: i don't want to like be the guy who's raving about how great it's but I do think in a lot of corners they're a little underrated I mean the Bulls have been solid for a long time and I I think some of this is this is a fan base accustomed to championships and I'm not really sure that the goal is chasing championships exactly I mean you always want to win a title sure but I think uh, in some years the goal is more just to make the playoffs and be competitive and that they largely succeeded. There are plenty of mistakes, but they've also done plenty of things, right? They're, they're like any executives who've been around a long time. There are are good things and there are bad things on their record. Uh, I don't really, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say the bulls would be wrong if they wanted to move on and hire somebody different, but I also, am not going to say that they're wrong to keep these two.
0: Another important part to consider is what ownership wants in a general manager. And it seems like, you know, they've picked up cash and deals. They've kept the team physically responsible, even though they don't have a ton of – they have less spending power this summer with the addition of Otto Porter. They've also looked better since they made that trade. We'll we'll, we'll see where the rest of the season goes. But I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely think that the idea that they're, like, uniformly awful is overstating things, especially because the last couple of years, yeah. the guys they've picked – In the first round, which is, you know, largely speaking, the most important thing that these kind of front offices do, that those guys have largely done well relative to their draft slot. I think Wendell Carter is looking good for where he was taken. Lowry Markkinen is having a really nice second year as well. So that is a consideration now. How they interpret, you know, what Chris Dunn has done this year and kind of like where this team is going, like those sorts of things are important. But from ownership's perspective, if, you know, keeping the team physically responsible, that kind of thing really matters to them. I mean and, and really the, the, as much as we like to talk about being a GM as more of an, like an, an objective thing, really it is more of an audience of one thing because the owner, ownership, let's talk about it more broadly, they're the ones who determine whether you have a job moving forward.
1: Right, I mean, do people think that if the Bulls hired a different general manager, all of a sudden they wouldn't be making the like selling a, the second round pick that became Jordan Bell for three and a half million dollars? You really think that anybody in the general manager seat wants to make that deal that they think that's good for for the team being better, which is what fans care about? No, it's to, it's that's a great point on the constituency of one. That's who you're trying to appease there and if that's the role on that team that's the role a different person in that GM's chair isn't going to have different job responsibility now maybe now maybe I i just said that and maybe this is disagreeing with myself a little bit maybe there's somebody who could do a better job of persuading ownership uh to spend but maybe not I mean that's a pretty big assumption
0: it it is totally context dependent I mean I think Sam Presti deserves a lot of credit for convincing their previously tight-fisted ownership group you know that was a a big part of the story and a couple of their moves earlier in this decade to really shell out for this team so it can happen and a part of the job is being persuasive but there are certain owners that might not be persuaded a bull i guess is probably the good way to put it
1: right and it's also a, a time and place for it this is not the time for the bulls to be spending big now Selling off draft picks is something different because you do need to get young players and then bring them in and develop them and identify them. That's a little... Paying the luxury tax, or having a high salary, or using cap space—they tried to use cap space uh, to get somebody to help them immediately Jabari Parker. That was—it was a bad plan. It backfired even still. This is the time to to not spend as much and then build up some capital to to go after it when you are in better position, when you're a better team like the Thunder are. This is absolutely the time for the Thunder
0: to spend a lot. I will argue that there was a previous point where it would have been better, but we don't, need to, we, don't, we don't need to cross that bridge now. That discussion has happened before. Both of us have made that argument in writing and presumably in podcast form as well. Thank you so much. This been, it's been a big help to have you on and go through all this.
2: Thanks for having me on. All right. Thanks, Danny, for helping out with the news. Let's get to what we've learned from these last few drafts, uh, evaluating ourselves, trying to keep ourselves honest here. We get asked a lot about what we've learned from the draft, what mistakes we've made. So there's a chance to do a whole pot on that. But first I want to tell you about Helix Sleep. Helix Sleep, the second longest running sponsor for Dunked On. And their core principle is that there's nobody else on the planet like you. So why are you going to buy a mattress that's built for everyone else? I tried one of those all size or one size fits all mattresses, I should say. And my wife and I both hate it. And so we utilized that company's return policy and she found Helix Sleep it never really seemed to make much sense that they just had one mattress that would fit for everyone. And Helix Sleep, we filled out their two minute sleep quiz. They sent us one and it's perfect. We've now own three Helix Sleep mattresses. I actually just got one for my in-law's house so we can stay over there in our usual level of comfort. And you can be just as comfortable as we have now. Get a mattress that's customized to your height, weight, and sleep preferences. You can have the best sleep of your life at an unbeatable price. Go to helixsleep.com, fill out that two-minute sleep quiz they have, and then they will design your custom mattress. They can even customize each side for you and a partner. And they even have the Helix pillow. Pillow as well, those are fully adjustable so you can achieve perfect comfort regardless of sleep position or body type. The way to get started with them is that helixsleep.com slash capspace you can get up to 125 dollars towards your mattress order that's helixsleep.com slash capspace for up to 125 bucks towards your mattress order don't forget that slash capspace url helixsleep.com slash capspace let them know if that url slash capspace that you came from us all right this is going to be pretty interesting uh, i think what we're going to do is we're going to start with the 2018 draft certainly much remains to be written even about drafts going back three or four years but certainly there's enough nba performance that we can draw some conclusions and draw some conclusions about our conclusions uh, that hopefully can provide some overall insight on the NBA. The point isn't necessarily to be self-aggrandizing here because we certainly had plenty of misses, but just to see what we can learn for future draft evaluations going forward. And I think the the way to do it here, uh, we can kind of just leave it open as far as what we want to talk about. I think the place to start in 2018. For me, I'm feeling pretty good about where I was so far is Luka Doncic. We were both really high. Did you had him number 1 on your board as well, right?
0: Absolutely. He, and he, yeah. I had him in a tier by himself.
2: Yeah, as did I. I mean, it really was not necessarily close for us because he just had been so incredibly dominant at a very high level in Europe and he's really shown to be exactly what he's supposed to be and more of the questions about him were is his free throw rate gonna hold up, you know, that was one, his athleticism, his defense, and those have all been issues to some degree, but he was already playing so well at such a high level of competition that yeah, the NBA is different than Europe to be sure. But there almost nobody who plays that well in Europe, and I mean especially at that age, is going to fail. And I think that was it would just everybody who didn't have him number one overall just was massively overthinking it
0: you talked about the level of competition presumably mostly talking about the acb but i would also something that gave me a lot of solace and comfort in having luca number one in his own tier was the the international play as a part of the slovenian team because in those contexts a lot of times he was playing against nba talent this wasn't you know guys that either couldn't hack it or chose to be in spain instead of instead of being in the nba you know he He played well against, as I recall, Kristaps Porzingis. You know, Porzingis, unequivocal NBA talent. He was, by and large, the best player. I mean, sure, Goran Dragic had some games, but he was the best player in that Slovenian team in the... 20 was that 2017? I'm trying to remember what. what... Yeah, 2017 EuroBasket. Yeah, twenty seven EuroBasket. He was phenomenal, and I
2: remember I missed that tournament because I was in the Grand Canyon proposing to my fiance at the time, or who would become my fiance and then wife at the time. You really and missed I, out. I, I met, if I mentioned I'm married, so much gravitas when I just say the word wife. It's like you have to respect me now. Someone married me.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah, your your wife is awesome. So I mean, it it also isn't like it's it's not just like hey somebody it's it's she's great so (laughs) hey
2: somebody doesn't matter who it is just just (laughs) thank god it was someone um yeah i'm sure
0: but but with luca so he had this track record he was not a sure thing like luca if if you want to go through like the annals of of number one picks which is something i want to do when we've actually watched film on zion i didn't have him in that you know no questions you know like anthony davis is probably a good example lebron is beyond that but lebron was when we were a long before we became analysts. And so... I wasn't completely sure that it would translate to this degree. I just thought that there was the highest chance of success. Another reason why I had Luca in a tier by himself was that I didn't really trust any of the the guys below him to the same degree. and like so it was some of it was also an indictment of those guys. You know, I try to use historical like context for that, but it's, sometimes it gets dicey and that's been actually one of the big positives for me from this class is that a lot of the players that I was a little bit shaky on have ended up looking much better. Like Marvin Bagley, for example, like he, he's not a perfect player, but he has been meaningfully better this season than I expected
2: yeah i think so but bagley we saw a way i think that he could succeed offensively with his athleticism you know we got asked this on our patreon mailbag about a week ago and i thought it was really interesting someone asked you know who has who are really good players that you look at as just not having very good feel and when you're really talking about top end superstars it's really nobody you know i mean i I think really the last dead bang superstar player that you'd say didn't have the greatest feel that might be derrick rose uh you know Kawhi's offensive feel is not unbelievable but he can get to the foul line he's just not an amazing passer and then defensively you know he's got preternatural anticipation so it's you have to go back a lot russell westbrook might be another one we we kind of argued about that in the patreon mailbag he's developed his passing to be very good so to the point where i was like all right he, i'm not gonna say he has like bad feel anymore he certainly you know, has his issues on both ends there but that brings me to deandre ayton and some are saying i mean the party line still is that he's having a solid rookie season offensively i that's that's the case. I don't think anyone had questions about his offense, but the defense has been as bad as advertised if not worse. His really low block block rate. The Suns defense has been horrendous all year. He's been a huge part of that. And getting past that is just going to be really difficult I think for him to be a superstar player and certainly to have drafted him over Luca looks like a huge mistake drafting over Trey Young to me looks like a huge mistake Young has been playing pretty well lately um you know there's some who might disagree with me the book is not written yet on Aiden but there's always concern when the concerns that you had about a guy coming in continue to manifest in the NBA but that's one a, a lesson that we can learn from him and maybe some others is just hey if a guy doesn't have great feel you probably don't want to be taking him at a position where you're hoping he's going going to turn into a franchise level of superstar i think that that's and then you know just generally big men who don't profile as good defensive players i mean that's another issue for sure as well
0: i'm pretty confident that i feel worse about having trey young below deandre than you do having him over him Uh, that that I, th- I would say would be fair. Trey Young has had a better season than I anticipated, despite that just abysmal start. He was, I think 19% from three in the month of, des- in the month of November. And like when we did the top 10 prospects pod, that was there. I, I still don't think Trey Young is like a sure thing, but he's a whole hell of a lot closer, not only than at the beginning of the season, but then he was as a prospect. What stood out to me was the passing for like, I mean, he would, he could, well, as a prospect, like we could see it, you know, he would, he had a great vision he had a lot of tools in his passing toolbox and you worried a little bit because most of those guys in the league right now are taller and so you wondered and he's pretty slight a frame whether that was going to work and it it has worked pretty well you know it's not he's not unstoppable but he's been great and the three has been falling of course much better i think he's at about 34 percent for the season and yeah i so i feel very good about trey young i wish i had him i wish i had him second instead of third
2: so you had eight and second
0: i had eight and second young third and then Jaron Jackson 4th
2: yeah i feel pretty good about Doncic one and trey young too i mean that so i think a way we can do this is we'll each give our two biggest hits and two biggest misses in the draft and generally to remember we didn't have time to really go through many guys below the top you know eight to ten guys so we're kind of limiting this to the guys that we did full scouting reports on um my tier two was trey young michael porter deandre and then jaron jackson i actually had Aiton ahead of Jaron Jackson according to these notes I don't remember it that way actually but I'm looking at my board right now maybe I switched it up eventually that might have just been after summer league so yeah that that's a regret to me Uh, that was a a pretty big mess I think and then I had a a third tier of Bagley Bamba and Wendell Carter Michael Porter is the other one who just if healthy and you know obviously he hasn't played yet I saw a video of him playing three on three from like a couple of weeks ago and just with like Nugget's staff and stuff and i really hope he wasn't trying because he did not look good in the slightest i mean it was just couldn't couldn't get past like assistant coach Stephen Graham and was like settling for a bunch of fadeaways that weren't going in they've said that he shot the ball really well but it, what really made him incredible was his athleticism and, and that doesn't appear to have come back yet uh
0: oh so so I'll, I'll yeah. frame one of my hits you, you did say that we focused on like the top eight guys one of my hits was not with those players and that was I was really low relative to other people on two specific lottery picks Kevin Knox and Colin Sexton I feel strongly about that now both of those players can turn it around It is you know we're, there's yeah. still a lot to be done but I didn't like their feel I thought that the the best case scenario for those guys was strong but that like the the best you know the realistic case you know like 75% outcome was dicier and then the like below that started to get really questionable Sexton you know I, I didn't see a, a definite starter in there I regret that I had him just over Shea but we didn't watch much video on them I think I watched one full game of each of those guys and then I just didn't see it with Knox he you know he can make shots and all that and he looked good in summer league so I'm not any he, he, he can work hard on this game and all that kind of stuff but I feel good about being lower on those guys and because my concerns have largely been the re, like those concerns have been a part of their struggles so far
2: yeah so, so that would kind of be your yeah. and we did do at least like partial scouting
0: yeah I, I listed my, my draft board had 16 guys on it but then I, I italicized the guys that we did I did partial analysis on
2: on. Yeah. Uh so I I would say misses I Had Mo Bamba number seven, and I probably, given who is available and uh, what we eventually found out about Porter's health situation, I might well have gone with Bagley or I'm sorry, with Bamba at six, just as the Magic did. I mean, he's been an absolute disaster. Wait, so so who did
0: you have at five?
2: Uh, Jaron Jackson. So I I had Doncic, Trey Young, Porter, if healthy, oh, Porter, okay, third, Ayton, Jaron Jackson that rounded out my tier two, and then Bagley, Bamba, and, and Wendell Carter, Wendell Carter or Bagley at this point is it is an interesting question but in retrospect i think a, a, a big miss was uh, i should have had carter above Bomba, although again all those guys are in the same tier so i'm feeling pre- feel pretty good about by 2018 um i would say 2017 a little less good
0: you and i both brother i mean so marco Foltz is a really tough guy for this because so yeah, like much what's the lesson to learn there right yeah so because um, so much of what happened was unforeseeable. I mean, yeah, there were questions about his attitude and all of that, but I don't think that's the reason he's dealing with thoracic outlet syndrome and, and all that. I mean, Fultz, the, the the player that we saw at the Nike Hoop Summit, the player that I saw at Washington, he was, to me, the best talent in that draft, and he certainly has not lived up to that. I I, I will openly acknowledge that. It's not exactly a controversial opinion, but, you know, that especially from Philly's perspective and from Boston's perspective, because that was the big trade. Get there. My the first the place I'll start here was with my miss with Jason Tatum was just that I didn't think the scoring would come as quickly as it has and yeah the the crazy three point shooting of his rookie year you know that that was probably some aberration in that but he's so much more talented with the ball in his hands even as a young young player and I didn't see all of that during his time at duke and so he's the I thought that the downgrade even though Boston didn't need Marco Fultz the downgrade from Fultz to Tatum was more significant and the Fultz part of it even if we kind of fudge that a little bit oh where I think where I got more wrong was that I thought Tatum was a bigger downgrade that bigger step down than he is
2: yeah I think actually a lot of the issues here and so biggest miss obviously and they had a lot of big misses Fultz we both had him number one overall thought he was going to be a future superstar we were wrong there uh we he had had a surgery at washington that we didn't know about at that time but when he got shut down towards the end of that season um but i think with both he ball and maybe even tatum that we really misevaluated all of those guy's shooting. I think that's the, the biggest issue with all of them Tatum to me. I was skeptical that he would hit the NBA 3. His form didn't look particularly conducive to that. Looked like he was really addicted to long twos. There's more of a thought that he could be really good defensively than I think he actually has. Been. I think he's been okay. He's got size, but he's, he's kind of average on that end. But he was this awesome free throw shooter, and that might have been a reason that you could say he would have become Good shooter, and yeah, his three point shooting has dropped off a little bit, but still pretty solid. I think he's thirty seven percent this year. It takes some reasonably difficult attempts, uh, and who knows? I mean, last year's playoffs might end up being like his high water mark as a prospect, and just his stature in the league overall. He's a little bit less. Impressive so far this year. Much to still to be written this year as well. But ball in particular, I mean that that's been the big problem: the shooting, the lack of ability to run pick and roll. And so, yeah, he shot that forty-one percent. He was taking some pretty deep attempts. But looking at his records at the lower levels, looking at his free throw percentage, which has only gotten worse, the funky form, that forty-one percent number on pretty limited attempts was really the only positive for him in terms of his shooting and scoring ability. I mean. He had 18% usage in college. I mean, that is just very rare for a top prospect. And Ball may end up still being a, an effective player, to be sure. But I had a number two on my board. I wasn't quite buying him as much. Uh, but a lot of the analytics models really liked him. And so I, I kind—I still will cave to sort of other outside influences at times when I'm doing my board. I think that's important to consider other influences. Like, we're not infallible. But then the number three guy that I had was Dennis Smith. And... And another guy who may still end up being a decent player. I think he's taken a reasonable step forward. But certainly the stuff we heard about the, the character concerns, for example, that's proved to be somewhat of an issue. And I don't even know if you want to say character, but just maybe difficulty to deal with. Um, so he went number nine. We thought I was higher and I'm even than you. Uh, another guy who's shooting was a little bit suspect and has continued to kind of be suspect as well. And then De'Aaron Fox. Was another guy who were like, oh, well, his shooting is going to be terrible. It was terrible in college. But he actually had shown better shooting at the lower levels and was an okay free throw shooter still not great he's only a 73 percent free throw shooter so so much of of what we've seen has come down to just which of those guys could shoot and which couldn't and yeah there are some indicators but i'm also not sure how certain of that we ultimately could have been that you know fox would be a much worse shooter than ball or or was pretty much a given at that time it seemed like
0: one thing that i wish i had taken more stock in at the time and and I was of kind of mixed opinions on and Fox. I, there were a lot of things that I really, really liked about him, but something that I didn't mention as much as I didn't think about and mention as much as I should have when comparing Fox and Dennis Smith was that Dennis Smith is an unbelievable athlete. I mean, we've seen that in, in the dunks that he can do and everything else, but Fox applies his athleticism. This was true at Kentucky. It was true in at the youth levels as well when I got to see both of those guys that are on like exhibitions, let's call it, that Fox applied. His athleticism a lot more regularly, and we're seeing that maybe not in the same way that I expect in the NBA, but to the same degree. Like Dennis Smith, wonderful athlete. You don't really see it on the defensive end as much. You know, he's not getting into the guys as much. He, you know, he and and Fox, he is the tempo, he is the the kind of the heart of what makes the Sacramento Kings so vibrant this season. And there there were reasons to see that now is that enough of a reason to put fox over smith with what we knew at the time i'm not sure but i i think that it was something i should have considered more strongly something you didn't mention with lonzo we talked about it at the time and i cared about it but i probably should have cared more was he didn't get to the basket very often and he didn't get to the free throw line very often he only took 98 free throws in over 1200 minutes at ucla that was concerning because it's like the idea of applying athleticism and like what can he do if the jump shot isn't falling and i kind of overrode those concerns because he's such an amazing passer and i was like oh you know that could rule the day I-, I still think he's a very capable intriguing defender but the idea of you know what happens if this one definitive thing doesn't work and how likely is it that the definitive thing succeeds or doesn't succeed like that argument i think i i miss i misinterpreted that argument with lonzo ball and i'm hoping that i can do better in the future
2: so greatest assist- hits i don't really i've only got one and i would say that that was believing that josh jackson wouldn't be any good uh, as far as you know being a a top five type of pick i mean people were talking about him potentially getting drafted by the celtics at at number three and so not being high on him i I think it's that's looking like it's turning out so far
0: but i have i have another one which is they weren't players that we really scouted heavily but i had seen a little bit of jared allen and og and anobi and really liked both of those guys yeah and and so I hadn't seen enough of like DJ Wilson and Justin Patton to say that they should be drafted over them because for me you have to know both guys to do that. But I thought to me, both of them looked like potential lottery picks, you know, like so sort of with Jared Allen, it was the, the parallel kind of a Bam who was taken fourteenth in that draft. I thought that the margin between those two guys as talents was was pretty narrow and they ended up going pretty far apart in the draft. And NOG we still have to figure out what the hell he is offensively, but you know, the physical tools and all that kind of stuff. And I I wish that this is a class that I think if we had spent more time, some of the guys that got drafted, I like, I didn't like Justin Jackson as soon as I saw him, but we hadn't seen him yet. So that's not a hit. That was a summer league hit, I guess you could say. But yeah, this, this class... And, and I I mean, another thing that I got wrong, we're, we're still seeing it. And John Isaac has been better offensively. I mean, he's had that had, had that string of like, I think it was 15 or 16 plus point scoring games. And so he can get there. I still love his defensive potential, but I was really okay with him being the fifth offensive option on a good team. And that's you, a player has to be so damn good defensively to, for you to tolerate that. And I think that's something that I, again, kind of like the idea of like, if 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 they're not everything that you hope they're going to be in one way, do they have enough variance and positive elements of the rest of their game? And with Isaac, I think I got that wrong.
2: I think I was a little higher on Markinen than some people were. Uh, you know, I think he was just sort of, uh, and he was struggling after coming back from the elbow injury early early in the boiling era, but the Bulls have actually been really good offensively the last month or so. And, and Markinen and his shooting have been a big part of that. He's put together a string of, of 20 point games here but i i wasn't as high and i still liked smith better than him that's looking like that's not correct so far but again so much that can change but i I liked Markinen better than josh jackson for example i think i actually liked him better than tatum and maybe i think i had isaac above him but you know i had him right in that range i think a lot of people thought that that he was clearly below that group i guess my second hit would have to be just of the guys we didn't see as much but i think the guys that we liked who were lower you mentioned Allen and Anobi an uh, another one uh, would be Jonah Bolden the guys that we liked turned out to be pretty good I mean I, don't, I can't think of many guys in the sort of and, and Donovan Mitchell was a big miss for us but neither of us really evaluated him much at all uh, but the guys that we were just like oh yeah these are pretty good picks you know in the below 15 range have kind of turned out Kuzma is the one that I didn't really know much about I wasn't as impressed by him I was kind of neutral on him and then the guys that we didn't like at all well... Oh tyler Lydon, tony bradley caleb swanigan the guys who just don't make sense in the modern nba tj leaf is one who might still work out okay but he was another one we were really kind of down on we'll see what ends up happening with him uh so and oh uh josh hart was another one who got drafted late that we liked a lot that you know i mean he's traced a lot on him too but he's been at least a rotation player which a lot of these guys haven't been uh but then biggest miss in fulton ball one and two i mean you could uh, nearly the entire top 10 it's pretty atrocious uh with you know jason tatum i guess either he or donovan mitchell would would go number one these days you know fultz wouldn't probably even be in the top 10 ball you know might be like six or seven or something um so we we really missed on most of the top 10 to some degree or another here um i I don't know if you feel differently but that was it was uh pretty bad and i mean i think the biggest lesson to the extent there is is just well whether guys shooting works out or not it's pretty important and then uh you know the whole difficult to deal with thing with smith i mean you never want to put that as a reason for when you don't have access to that information personally and you're hearing it probably third hand but yeah generally, but, but you could yeah. see
0: some of it in like the way he played defense and when i remember when yeah. we watched some of his film when he deactivated it was really concerning because he just yeah. looked awful and i mean some of that was also true with marco fultz i mean marco fultz defensively had i i remember but he's who, actually been fine defensively overall. yeah i know like it, it's, but but it's that but it's that mentality thing of like you know a guy who can get totally out of it like that is something that that is concerning for me it's and maybe I'm getting getting a better radar for when that happens I remember back in back in your old place we started watching Markel because I had been more familiar with him because he was a Pac-10 Pac-12 guy and I'd been watching him and so we watched the offense and we were both like just beaming with how good he looked and then I said well let's watch some defense and you'll see what the problems are it was just it was just a horror show we watched like 20 minutes and it was just it was just abysmal but I I was totally fine with overlooking that because he was this spectacular offensive talent. The guy that I compared him to at the time was Kyrie Irving, another player who had a very weird college tenure, Dif- weird in a different way. But like the, the incandescent offensive talent and all that stuff, and and we'll have to see where it works out. And, and I agree with you that the shoot the shooting is a lesson. This is a class, maybe more so than any of the other ones, any of the ones that we'll discuss, where I wish we had had more time because, like for example, like I wonder how I would have felt about Donovan Mitchell. I had not watched very much of him at all. And I think I would have liked him, but I definitely think that it would have been lower on him than I now, like, obviously. I wouldn't have had him, like, top five in the class. I wouldn't expect.
2: It's 2016 momentarily. I want to tell you about a new sponsor, Native, that creates safe, simple, and effective products that people use in the bathroom every day. This is a new approach to deodorant with fewer, simpler ingredients. So you know everything that's in Native deodorant. They steer clear of aluminum, parabens, you Talc, and instead they use coconut oil, which is antimicrobial, shea butter, which is a moisturizer and emollient, tapioca starch, which absorbs wetness. Native believes that less is more when it comes to deodorant. They have a number of enticing scents for men and women. There's coconut and vanilla, which is their most popular, eucalyptus and mint, uh, I kind of like that one personally, cucumber and mint, and lavender and rose. And they're also limited edition seasonal scents that they release throughout the year. I found that it worked for me as much as the old other leading brand. I love that phrase back in the 80s commercials when they'd say that a brand was better than the other leading brand and they'd kind of dress it up so you clearly knew what the other leading brand actually was, but it didn't actually like use their logo or something. But I feel better about what I'm using now in my deodorant with Native. My wife uh, avoids aluminum in, in her deodorant because it may be linked to, to breast cancer so this is good for her a, as well and if you want to get started with them and get 20% off your first purchase visit nativedeodorant.com and use promo code capspace at checkout nativedeodorant.com and use that familiar promo code capspace during checkout for 20% off your first purchase make sure you use that capspace code to get the discount and let them know that you came from us all right let's get out of that disastrous 2017 draft and get to 2016 which I, is one that I feel a little better about here.
0: I feel a little better about it, despite having maybe the worst miss of my entire draft analysis going back to like 2008 is, is in this one. And I'll rip the bandaid off and start with Dragonbender. My lesson with him was really ironing down the theory of the player and i i kind of yada 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 over the concerns bender he was one of those guys who could switch but i didn't think he would be a great switch defender he has been far worse than that but i was willing to kind of go over that because of his offensive upside but his offensive upside was just intriguing it wasn't like he was anywhere near as good a scorer as jason tatum was let's say coming out of duke a year later but it's like oh you know he's tall he maybe he can play center in the nba you know he could be a forward be a center And that best case scenario blinded me to him being limited as a defender the offense like and but the bigger issue for me with bender wasn't so much the the overrating what he could be defensively it was that the juice wasn't worth the squeeze in the first place
2: bender was someone that i had a chance to evaluate in person very early in his career as a 17 year old at the euro camp watched a fair amount of his film at i think it was the u16s actually maybe it might have been the u18s european under 18 European championships, but i'll start with the on defense i i felt relatively sure that he wasn't going to be this absolute monster defensively you know kirilenko was who he got compared to and kirilenko actually wasn't even that great of an on-ball guy he made a lot of plays off the ball and you know we haven't but kirilenko was really just a, an almost unique physical specimen in nba history i didn't feel that way about bender at the time that he would be as bouncy and he's not i mean especially off the of two feet he really just does not have the athleticism and, and so he he can't really get by anybody He's had shown some passing ability i think he actually has evolved as a shooter as well as i would have hoped i mean he was not a pure shooter naturally you know watching him as a a younger player his his jump shot really wasn't any good and he, he got his form better i thought he was a smart player there was also and this is True for Brandon Ingram too. He was so young coming into the draft where it's tough for those guys because, you know, I think he was a November of 97 birthday. So he was still 18 for like six more months when he was drafted and five more months, I guess. So there's always this feeling that they just, it's, you can project more of a sky's the limit approach for them because they're just so young that you just don't want to get locked into what they are at the time that they're drafted but for him you know i think the the physical tools may have been a little over i mean i still was higher on him i think i had him fifth overall on my board i want to say yeah i think that was right but i mean my top four was ben simmons in order ben Simmons Jalen Brown Jamal Murray Brandon Ingram and i would probably stick with those four maybe i would flop Murray and brown as of now but i think i did pretty well in that draft i was very low on done you know I probably missed on healed but you know especially not knowing that he was uh you know the age thing bothered me creating the own shot bothered me to some degree but healed would probably be number five i think in that draft now if you're redoing it and then not a not a lot that it's great. Uh, behind that, probably DeMontis Sabonis would be, you know, he might even be above healed if you're going back and looking at it now. Uh, you know, 2016 wasn't supposed to be a dra- great draft, and it probably didn't really become one, frankly. Uh, so, yeah, that that's uh, uh, that top four, I mean, I think you could throw my two. I mean, probably the biggest ones that Jalen Braun and Jamal Murray would be the two that I would say are, are my greatest. There. I'm not going to take any credit for having Ben Simmons number one.
0: And Simmons was a pretty unambiguous number one, so that was not you know like let's say luca having luca number one because there were obviously differences. of there were
2: people saying that that ingram was should be
0: yeah i guess there were and i had ingram too and i would you know i would have him a little bit he's come
2: on to some degree lately i mean i'm I'm still i'm still not like dead certain that he's not gonna evolve into a star but
0: right and and ingram for example like we've talked a little bit about you know our disappointments at various times with with andrew wiggins and for me ingram has a he has way better tools, but B he has also shown a much greater aptitude for using the tools that he has. And so, At least on in, offense. Well, and I would say defensively too. Like he's had yeah. some nice performances on like, ball,
2: on ball, on so ball. Off yes, ball, really
0: yeah. I really wish his off ball. I wish his off ball stuff was better. That's that's definitely true. So for me, there were there were three guys that I felt like I knew decently well in this class that I really didn't like relative to where other people had them. Chris Dunn was number one. I just didn't didn't like the theory of Agreed. his game. He didn't look like he could run an offense for me and he his jump shot looked awful guess what it is awful so you you, you have all of that running together and I I did really like his defense but you don't take a guard defender in the top 10 if you don't think they can do the other parts that make a guard really important he I would say overall done has been better than I anticipated but I was closer to right than a lot of the people including Minnesota for having him five uh, before we move on I'm gonna say something really funny that I completely I genuinely would never have known that this existed until I went back and read my real GMPs on this draft. I wrote, so apparently this was a rumor at the time. Remember, this is 2016, not 2017. I wrote in my, in my piece, this scathing criticism of Minnesota for turning down the number five pick and Zach Levine for Jimmy Butler. I had completely forgotten that that had happened.
2: Oh yeah. No, I mean, they had been talking about that and I, I didn't necessarily believe that that was the offer. Uh, i think the discussion at the time was that wiggins would have to be involved in that trade if it was ever going to happen um uh, but you know clearly there was plenty of discussion there
0: yeah yeah what i said was something like if that offer was on the table then they were they were absolute yeah. idiots to not take it and so and then so he was my biggest the the biggest divergence that I had and I feel right about that second was Buddy Heald I mean Heald has been so much better as a shooter and some of those concerns are legitimate he doesn't provide a ton of value outside of what he does really well and I mean this came up when we were talking about somebody had asked I think this was in a Patreon mailbag somebody had asked if Buddy Heald like all-star consideration and what I said was no because if you compare him let's say to somebody like Clay Thompson who I didn't even have in the all-star game though he ended up making it Thompson does so many things other well other than shooting he's a wonderful defender and he you know can can fit in with the system I think Clay has a more versatile jump shot than Buddy Hield but even though he's not a great distributor, all those kind of things. And so for me, healed was going to have to take a step, but he's still, um, I, I would have him probably fifth on this. So he's one guy. And then the one that I had forgotten, though I remember why, that I was really low on, was Torian Prince. And the reason why was because I thought his defensive reputation was completely overrated because he played in that Baylor zone. And he was, Torian Prince is among those players who plays with energy and who kind of looked like he was a better defender than he was. And so I just thought people were overrating him on that end of the floor. And I would say for the most part, that's been true. He's he's not like abysmal, but the people who thought like, oh, he that's going to be a big strength in his game. It hasn't been, at least from my opinion. Yeah,
2: a, a lot of interesting ones here, uh, you know, for Dunn, the age thing, certainly you know, that's been true since time immoral. I'd say probably my biggest miss. And we only really did, I think, the top eight guys that we evaluated. My two biggest misses are probably Marquise Chris and Thon Maker. I mean, Thon Maker, you can see what we saw in him just because of the little flashes that he's shown in the playoffs these two years. But overall, obviously, it hasn't been there. And there are, of course, the age concerns with him as perhaps a reason why he hadn't really developed it. Marquise Chris. I thought that he could be potentially a really good offensive power forward but it's starting to appear that like those players don't particularly exist anymore i mean maybe you know julius Randle maybe falls into that mode a little bit but you just have to be so good as a traditional power forward in this day and age the shooting hasn't really come through for chris and then obviously the focus and attitude issues have been a major concern so i did have him at number eight uh on my board i want to say i might have had him above i might have had him above healed and done actually but uh so so that was a miss but he was always kind of a, a risky Guy. I mean, I, I thought that the trade that the Suns made with Sacramento was a, a good one to move up to eight and get him. And that obviously didn't turn out to be the case, despite the fact that they uh drafted Papa G. Pretty funny that there was the 28 pick in that year's draft, 13 and eight. And then Bogdanovich was by far the best player in that draft. He was drafted like, you know, I think 27 in what was it, 2014, I want to say. um Sabonis, I missed on a little bit. You know, I just I didn't think he could be as productive as the he has been as a center i thought he was really just too undersized to be a good offensive center certainly the defensive concerns remain although he's been better there too uh i thought he was a four point five no he's clearly a five as the game has continued to evolve he's been really good you know so missed on that one um any other ones you feel are kind of worse discussing i think some of the guys that we were like super low on in there again you know turned out to be really bad
0: yeah, I think a lot of my guys that I was low on, that was more of a summer league thing. Like, I would have hated Papillana so much, but I hadn't seen him at that point. Yeah. Bryce Johnson. Yeah, oh. well,
2: that, that I mean, yeah, Bryce Johnson but here's the list of guys that i was like super low on even before we went to summer league again this is the same the Swanigan theory right guys who just you know what is the thought of them now sabonis did kind of defy that to a certain degree but so yabusele ellenson malachi richardson bryce johnson those are the guys that i was really low on who were taken in the first round and all those guys really have turned out pretty poor so i'll take a little bit of pat on the back for that um and then some of the guys we liked, Wancho, who it's been up and down, but at his best, he's looked pretty solid. Malik Beasley has really come through this year. Didn't know anything about De Lavert really um, at that time. Didn't know anything about Siakam. Scal is a guy that we really liked who hasn't really worked out. You even more so than me.
0: I- I'm still I'm still on that corner, man. I'm not giving it up yet. Yeah. But yeah, he's he's not. I mean, the other thing that's so weird about this draft is how many guys that were drafted higher than Scal just suck. And so I don't know how to interpret that because we don't know if Scal is good. So it's like, well, you know, he's he's better than some of these guys that are pretty obviously, you know, not not NBA players, Bryce Johnson being one of the most obvious among those guys. I, I think that I remember liking DeJounte, DeJounte Murray, you know, out of Washington, a guy that I was a little bit more familiar with because you played on the same coast. And I liked him and he's still there. This isn't a pick analysis, but I was going through my piece and I trashed the Charlotte Hornets for trading the number 22 pick for Marco Bellinelli. I stand by that as being a very good, very good trashing. That was a a short-sighted decision for them having a a low-cost guy. I mean, granted, the Kings took Malachi Richardson and, and he provided nothing, but there were other good players, capable players who would have at least helped them a little bit. And there are cost issues and lack of dynamic young talent has been a big issue um i'm looking
2: through Z- zizic is one who has disappointed a little bit i think
0: yeah i would say that's fair i i was a little bit intrigued i remember uh i had seen some of Zubac and i kind of liked I, I i there were there were some intriguing things about him and getting him in the second round i didn't think he was anything
2: he, he's been better defensively than it than
0: yeah i thought he was going to be a second unit score like that was what i caught like a like kind of one of those scoring centers and he can certainly do that too but he's been much better defensively and...
2: Oh, I'll tell I'll tell you one that I missed on. I mean, uh, who I didn't really evaluate that fully, but Malcolm Brogdon. For him to develop into the level of shooter, I mean, he really, as I recall, didn't start shooting the ball at Virginia until very late in his career. He was also was pretty old, and for him to be this like unbelievable free throw shooter and like career right now, forty one percent from downtown in his three year career. I mean, that was totally unexpected. All right, we'll, we'll get to twenty fifteen. We we got time to do twenty fifteen at least, and, and maybe even get down to. 14 and 13 i mean 13 was really the first year that i started doing this you were doing it uh a lot earlier for real gm so we'll at least let you uh get some of your earlier greatest hits and misses out there but i want to remind you guys to give a listen to the no chill podcast gilbert arenas has uh, long been one of the nba's most interesting personalities it's all nba all opinion always uh, with no chill you remember he had that blog back when he was actually a a star one of the first players to really begin to address his fans directly not through the traditional media and he's taken that approach now to each hour-long episode of the no chill podcast he's a guests like kevin durant nick young matt Barnes, ice cube and many others coming soon they dig into hot topics, trends burning questions all with no chill it's available everywhere you get your podcasts new episodes drop every monday or you can listen a day early that would be sunday on himalaya i guess i should just only evaluate drafts in even years <laughs> because i also really had some huge huge misses uh, back in 2015 Despite putting plenty of time in not quite as much as i would have liked to have uh, these last three years because i was still working at the law firm at that time but uh tried to get as much in it as i could but uh, where would you like to start it in 2015? We'll, we'll let you get a hit in first, I suppose.
0: Well, I, I was I was thinking about starting with a hit, but the team that I said had the absolute best draft was the Denver Nuggets because Emmanuel Mudiay fell to them. So I figure, figure I might as well start yeah. there.
2: I I, I had Mudiay was number three on my board too.
0: I I think I had him a little bit lower than that. I think I had him four or five, but it might be that I had him below like Julius for which didn't work out super well for the Seventy Sixers anyway. So yeah. I mean, with Mudiay. I was fascinated and tantalized by his ceiling and the, the idea of what he could be. It sort of parallels if, if assuming we get to the 2014 draft, what I, the mistake I made with Dante Exum and, uh, but, but a hit, I'll, I'll, I'll go positive early on. I loved Miles Turner. I continue to love Miles Turner. I had him, I had him over Porzingis. I, you know, I still think the logic of that was a mistake, but Miles Turner has been awesome. And why I was so fascinated by him, I didn't think that the concerns, about his running form and all those kind of like weird physical things were as well-founded as some people did actually one of the, the Ethan Ethan and I ended up having a lot of discussions on this back at the time because he was very into running form and he was right on a lot of guys I mean we've he and I weren't friend, weren't no talking then but the Greg Oden draft and how that affected the way he thought about things but Turner I thought he was like this guy who could defend the rim who could who could be a defensive impact player but then also be a positive offensively and there are just not that many centers that check the defensive box and can do more offensively and so i was just i loved him i loved him as a prospect and i you know Knowing what I, not not knowing what I know now with them as players, but like, I, I wish I'd actually been a little bit higher on him. Like the theory of Jaleel Okafor, I understand it. You know, I had Okafor, I believe I had him third in that class, but I was always so into center defense. That's why a lot of the best hits I ever had were some defensive centers. And I should have trusted myself more on that because Turner wasn't a sure thing. He was far, far from a sure thing defensively, but
2: doing yeah, the I mean, most- he Im- didn't become good until this year.
0: Right. He was, you know, he was interesting last year, but and, and the defensive rebounding was was always this little foible thing. But the but with Jaleel, I just thought he could be such a good offensive player that it didn't matter. And that broadly speaking isn't true anymore. Like there, a guy would have to be so ludicrously good offensively at center to be a negative defensive player at center and make it work
2: yeah and Nikola Jokic probably comes the closest there but he's a a pretty smart player he gets steals he positions himself well he's a good defensive rebounder you know he's not as atrocious as like your Okafor's and and your Cantors necessarily part of the story of Okafor who I had number two on my board at least we I I think we both had Carl Anthony Towns as like a very clear number one at least and that was that's one where you can the one the guy who ended up being number one being picked number one you know you can't take a victory lap for that but that was one where having evaluated him in person at the Hoop Summit in 2014 was huge, just to see what kind of a shooter he was. And it turns out he's a maybe even better than we thought. He'd be 39% three-point shooter uh for his NBA career is really a, pretty remarkable. But yeah, I had Okafor number two. Part of his story is still that meniscus injury he suffered towards the end of his rookie year. Maybe things could have turned out a little bit differently for him. And he's actually scoring well now. But a lot of that is just position and just how good you have to be on both ends now or just unbelievable on offense as a center to really be worth a very high pick and okafor without the outside shooting which was never going to be a a part of his game really uh, as not a great free throw shooter there was hope that he would improve defensively because he has relatively quick feet and he's got that seven five wingspan and so you thought maybe he could get to be a little bit better there defensively and there would be flashes every once in a while so i I think he's been way worse than ultimately we would have thought he would be defensively um so so that's uh I mean I think one good thing is that we learned from Okafor when we're evaluating DeAndre Ayton this year
0: another hit that I had in this class was I actively disliked Frank Kaminsky. I just didn't think he was an NBA player. Oh, yeah. And he isn't, for the most part. I didn't like him. I I did like Devin Booker. I thought that he fell too far. Yeah, Uh, I didn't
2: know enough about him to really have a great evaluation.
0: So I I got strangely fascinated by that Kentucky team because of Carl Anthony Towns. And so all of those guys, I thought I had a pretty good feel on. So I thought Devin Booker was like around a top 10 talent, and then Trey Lyles was not. And, I don't know, I bounced around a little bit on Lyles over the last couple of years. He ended up going, you know, right before his college teammate.
2: Yeah, but, so, but another power forward who doesn't defend. You know, yeah. That, that, that's another archetype that just I, is I really at this point.
0: I really like Justice Winslow. I still, you know, he's a talented player. He's not the, he's not the NBA player player that i thought he would be but his physical talent you know was was intriguing and the the fact that he could play at that size Wait, you and... haven't
2: brought up hazonia yet as as a miss
0: no I'll, i was gonna get there oh, i sorry, mean sorry with, with I, it...
2: I just i started foaming at them out there for no a second. i mean i, I so... couldn't couldn't contain myself anymore I,
0: I still i still like the analogy that i made at the time was that hazonia was another kind of bite at the J.R. smith apple this guy who had a lot like a really interesting skill set was uh... I mean, J.R. Smith is miles better as an athlete. That was one thing I got wrong with Zonia. But zonia's taller, so that was something I liked about him. But it just never came together. Like, I, th- I think my big mistake with Hazonia, which is actually the same mistake I made with Joe Alexander years before, was the lack of connective tissue in his game. So with Hazonia, I liked his jump shot. I thought he had good athleticism, and he periodically played like he really gave a shit, which was exciting. But you have to, you know, have a good handle. You have to be able to, you know, kind of n- get into the defensive verb at least a little bit and i thought you know even if you know if the jump shot's solid he can be a player and then if he figures out the other stuff it's it's the other stuff on the top of the sunday it's not it's not everything else and you can't treat the jump shot as a given for somebody who had the track record that he did you know like i think you can't have players that come in where you you are confident their jump shot but he hadn't earned the deference that i gave him yeah
2: i think the jump shot not working out is probably the most difficult part to have anticipated with him but the incredibly low free throw rate was a red flag i mean he had this athleticism where he would get up for some big dunks every once in a while but that just didn't happen very often you, you would see him move his feet well defensively i know schmitz was uh, super high on him at the time i think he had him number three on his board in, in 2015 a lot of it was based on the fact that he thought he could move his feet pretty well defensively that hasn't happened uh, this is another guy too where there were some red flags from a personality standpoint uh, cats uh the cat's not happy about his personality uh so those are all things where he he, and the fact that he wasn't playing everyone's like oh he's just got this crazy coach that's why he's not playing and no maybe he wasn't helping his team win games that's why but probably despite all this you know, i had towns mudier or i'm sorry towns okafor mudier was my top three i was not a believer in kristaps porzingis at all that was another huge miss i thought that he was just too slow that was and didn't have any feel that was my biggest issue with him and i thought his shooting was solid but not unbelievable but i, I think i underrated his rim protection i, I there are just a, a lot of little things that i didn't really like that much about his game and he was just so good at the things that he was good at that those things ended up not really mattering you know in terms of the size the rim protection and the shooting and just the fact that he like really played hard as well you know that was that was something that really was huge when a guy just has that side plays hard and can shoot it's pretty hard for him to fail and then how do you feel about our evaluation of D'Angelo Russell like where did you have him I had him kind of in the, the I think he might have been fifth for me no I think he, he might have been fourth for for me, behind uh, behind Moutier,
0: I'm trying to remember. I'm, I'm looking through. I said that I I wasn't as high on him as some. That's in my analysis. I don't I couldn't find my board on it. I think I had him somewhere like three or four. That that I that probably right around where I had Okafor. That sounds right. I know I had the other two Lakers number two picks, second overall. I can't, Who was
2: your number two guy?
0: That's what I'm trying to remember. It might have been DeAngelo. Yeah. I I think it might have been one of those circumstances where he was my number two, but I just didn't think that it was like even in the conversation for number one, he was in the same tier yeah. with all the other guys. That might have been the conversation. I. Were Worried about his ability to create separation. I thought, basically, for me, the, the, the differentiating skill was that I, I really liked his passing. And, you know, we, we certainly do see that. His, his pick-and-roll operation is... That part of it is getting... And his jump shot is, is getting closer. So, like, I... I I would obviously have him lower than some of the players who stepped up. And it is also amazing when we talk about, you know, positional scarcity and all that, that a lot of the best players from this 2015 class are big men. But if they're really, really good, that's that matters. That matters a lot.
2: Yeah, Russell, I think my evaluation of him, I think has been relatively on that. I thought he could be a good shooter. I think that this year he's probably proving to be a little bit better a shooter. You know, he shot 41% from downtown at Ohio State. I and mean, he threw these beautiful, full passes he had no right hand he still has no right hand I was worried he was too slow I was worried he's going to be atrocious defensively he still is and I thought he was going to be a really good pick and roll operator so I think that he actually there's an argument about how good he is now and how valuable he is but I think the things that he's been good at and not good at we were pretty much right on with that one Justice Winslow Stanley Johnson I supported taking Johnson over Winslow at the time I thought he was just had a little bit more defensive upside with his strength Johnson is on his way out of the league right now with new orleans he can't even get off the bench there winslow has continued to work johnson another guy who is purported to be a little bit difficult whereas justice winslow was considered more of a high character guy i think winslow was right up. i might have had winslow above russell as well but they're kind of ready but i would say my biggest misses okafor and porzingis and then you know not a ton of i mean moody a2 i mean shit that's another one like those are those are three guys i was pretty high i didn't think moody he was necessarily going to be a superstar, but I liked the fact that he could be pretty good in a lot of different areas, I thought, and that turned out to not be the case. And I guess, man, I don't really have many hits at all from this draft to come to think of it. I mean, I guess towns, but that's, you know, I i believe that he had the potential to be like a big superstar. I don't know if teams necessarily, or maybe not teams, but if other people saw him as like, you know, quite that clear of a number one pick, but I mean, that's uh that's pretty shitty. I didn't do well in this draft. That That's uh, quite obvious.
0: My biggest hit was Miles Turner. And I liked, I liked Porzingis, not not where yeah, he was.
2: Dra- I, I liked Turner, I guess, a little bit as, as uh. well, even where he was, yeah.
0: Another guy, he doesn't get talked about as much for being as high as he was drafted in this class. I really liked Willie Cauley-Stein, though he's been successful to the extent that he has been in a different way than I anticipated. I thought he was going to be this, you know, switchy, bl- block heavy, because he was, he was really monstrous at Kentucky that season as kind of a you know a defender who could do a lot of things in his hustle and that that effort has led to him being a, a dynamic role man and transition player but the defensive part of it isn't quite there as an overall package he's still an intriguing player but you know sixth sixth overall is a strange place in this draft because he's he ended up having a better career than the next three guys taken after him but i mean that's that's an entirely different thing we can jump yeah, I,
2: I guess i guess my other i'll say my other hit was that kaminsky wasn't gonna be any good yeah that, that he, he just didn't didn't make sense uh as a five um all right, so let's should we do some of these other ones here quickly? yeah we can
0: do them very quickly so 2014 the board was all shuffled by Joel Embiid getting hurt i had Joel Embiid number one by a meaningful margin before his last injury which i believe was the foot thing i think that was what came last And that scared me a little bit. So I moved him. I think I had him second, actually. And then because I had, I had Exxon over him. And then I remember you and I had this extended conversation about Parker versus Wiggins. And I I believe you had Parker over Wiggins, correct? Yes, I did. And I did. And you convinced me to do the same. I'm very happy that, in some ways, I'm very happy that I did. But in other ways, you know, Jabari has been disappointing. Like the theory. He at
2: least has the injuries as an excuse.
0: Yeah. Like the theory of Parker over Wiggins, you know, like, because, because the Wiggins is is another great example of applied athleticism you know that he uh, unbelievable athlete but it just never like I never saw it on the defensive end when he was at Kansas I that really freaked me out I didn't see it at the high school levels and the international stuff that he had done before he came into the NBA I was I hated Nick Stauskas I was very critical of the Kings taking him where they did. I liked Zach Levine. I think Zach Levine was, you know, he was underdrafted at 13 overall. I didn't love Aaron Gordon, but I didn't really love any of the guys that were taken around him, so that wasn't a big deal. This is a funny one. You can go back and look at, I actually wrote some Vegan Fish Taco stuff that I, about liking Mitch McGarry his freshman year, and then I hated him his sophomore year. I just didn't see the theory of him. But I had seen it early on and just wrote him off. Same thing happened for me with Kyle Singler and a few other guys. where I went. Once I got to see them more, I just realized that they weren't the player I wanted them to be.
2: So I had Jabari 1, Dante Exum 2. I can maybe get a little pass on those with some of the injuries i mean jabari even after the first acl tear and the defense there's certainly concerns but he had 26 percent usage and 56 percent true shooting as a 21 year old in 16 17 and then he had the, the second acl tear and and that was and i thought he looked like looked pretty good those first 25 games as a, a rookie until he, he tore his acl in phoenix as pj tucker tried to take a charge on him clearly he wouldn't have lived up to being a number one overall pick i think regardless of whether he'd gotten injured or not another feather in the cap for you know don't pick defenseless power forwards um but uh, and, and he clearly just has not been the same guy at all since coming back from the second acl tear to me uh, just for an example there my
0: he, absolute
2: he 100 oh, sorry. he had 129 dunks his second year in 76 games and then 92 dunks in 51 games his third year and then you know not even close to that type of a dunk rate going forward here sorry what were you gonna say
0: my biggest hit in this class was somebody taken far outside of the top part, and that was my love of Clint Capella. I thought Clint Capella was a lottery player. I thought that he was maybe a top, that he was like more in the top 10 than in than in the late lottery. I just thought, I, I saw the defensive potential in him and thought he could do enough offensively. There was another guy in a class a little bit before him that we'll talk about that. I, I saw some similar elements. I just really liked what he could bring. I thought Kyle Anderson was better than the 30th overall pick. He is better than a lot of the guys that were taken ahead of him. Not all of them, but a lot of them i liked kj mcdaniels I, I i still am fascinated with kj mcdaniels i like spencer Dinwiddie, another one of those guys who like had an injury but I, I i've always loved big point guards that's just been one of my one of my things and he he definitely fit in that group i didn't know jokic you knew him better i'm guessing you'd seen him at treviso i had uh,
2: no no he was at the hootson
0: oh that's right yeah that was before i started and i think going. he
2: might have actually been at, the, at uh at the euro camp as well uh the previous year but yeah i mean i i, I wrote that i didn't i thought jokic would really struggle due to his lack of athleticism and he had a pretty good week at the i mean that 2014 hoop summit team was just so loaded and they had jamal murray on that team carl anthony towns capella trey lyles Jokic I mean that world team was just so nasty um I'll say my greatest hit was that I had Wiggins number five on my board instead of number one uh but there really wasn't anybody who was that great other than a PDMB clearly would have been my number one with the injury uh, he dropped down I think to four at that point I had exit number two I thought that just his overall athleticism I, th- I really liked his passing vision I thought he would be one of the quickest guys in the NBA at his size that kind of ended up being the case but the lack of a handle the lack of any kind of a mid-range game whatsoever I his shooting has not really developed whether it would have or not without the injuries tough to say but you know so I, I get a little bit of a pass there but I think both Parker and Exum still would have disappointed even had they remained healthy um I had Marcus Smart actually number three that year and yeah you loved Marcus Smart but not even for the reasons that he has been ended up being good um I mean I think there's actually still kind of an argument that Smart should have been 3 I well I, I mean I, I like among the guys who were being considered up there you know Jokic is a different one I mean if you're going to you're going to kill me for not liking Jokic Well, he got drafted 41 everyone else felt the same way um I think but Smart I thought he would really be a dynamic point guard he would get to the foul line he would be you know really a good pick and roll operator hasn't been the case hasn't really even necessarily been a point guard he's been unbelievable defensively I thought Julius Randle has been about what I expected I think you know the jump shot is the one thing that has hasn't developed a for him. he's another guy he missed an entire year due to injury that first year he broke his leg on opening night uh, for the Lakers so I think he's ended up being about what I thought he would be uh, I thought I, I think my writing was that I thought he was the most likely person in this class Outside of Embiid, to assuming Embiid were healthy, to potentially average twenty and ten, and he's been pretty close to that when he's gotten the playing time these last couple of
0: years. The team I gave the best draft grade to this year was the Denver Nuggets, but I didn't. I did not give the Denver Nuggets the best grade because of Nicole Jokic. Though I did, I I did because I I, I think I said like the analytics models was probably Kevin Pelton's model that really liked him, but it was because of the trade they made where they moved from eleven down to 16 and 19, taking Yusuf Nurkic and Gary Harris. That trade looks just amazing for them, even though Nurkic didn't work out and everything yeah. that led to Doug that. Doug McDermott
2: I mean, was who the Bulls drafted that year. It was. With
0: number 11. With number 11. The other crazy trade that happened in that draft was, I believe it happened, my memory of how it happened was that Sam Hinkie took Alfred Payton and basically extorted the Orlando Magic basically knowing that they wanted him and they got their own first round pick back, which ended up being an absolutely massive trade. They took Dario Sharic, a superior player, and got that pick back, which I believe ended up being really valuable. I, I should ask Bodner at some point, what what because once a pick gets traded and traded back Some of the verbiage on the protections and the terms just get lost to history, so I'd be interested in that. Real Jim, I actually have it somewhere. I could ask about that. Somebody else, it's funny, I looked up the Hoop Summit roster that year. Do you know, one of the starters on that world team was Damian Inglis, who was a very intriguing player. I didn't know his game very well. He was Australian, I believe, right? French. French, okay.
2: Yeah, can't jump at all. That was and uh, uh, not a great shooter. That was kind of his problem. But yeah, I mean, th- this was not a great draft. Uh, my great streak of even year drafts uh, was broken here. And this was really the first year that I had access to Synergy, and I was able to really go through it and watch some film of these guys.
0: Do you remember when I sent you? I sent you a YouTube link to a, a, a Dante Exum Australian high school game.
2: Oh yeah, we. Uh, I, I remember that. I watched a bunch yeah. of those.
0: Because that was in that was among the like like you were like how do you find your footage? Because I don't think I got synergy for a year after this, and then it was and I, I was yep. just able to find stuff like I watched a bunch of Clint Capella's. Capella's games. Um, he was playing at Chalon, and I wa- I was able to pull some of those, and then and I really liked him. I'll do I'll, I'll do a quick little runner on on twenty thirteen. Twenty thirteen is probably my best my best draft, and the reason why is because I had a specific theory, and my theory ended up being right, and that was that the expected value on a lot of guys in that class was extremely low. So I said just go on ceiling. So I was really high on on Victor Lodipo, I was high on New Noel, well, but then the three that really stood out, where I had them way higher than the average analyst, was... Steven Adams. I actually had Steven Adams. I think I had a third in that class. Rudy Gobert and Giannis. I had all of those guys in the top 10 and just thought, you know, like, hey, if I'd rather take a guy, one of my big regrets is that I think I had Giannis right below Anthony Bennett. I think I had them eight and nine. But the idea was, hey, if somebody has superstar potential or something close to it, I'd rather have that than a guy like Cody Zeller, who could be a good player, but there isn't really a star in there. And that theory ended up being right because the average, value of the guys in that class i mean you have anthony bennett who ended up sucking len has been a disappointment macklemore who i hated was in that class i was lower i was wrong i was too low on kcp i just never really liked him as a player i was too low on cj but that general theory of that draft ended up being completely right
2: yeah I loved Gobert. I'd seen him at the 2012 Euro camp where he dominated and people were talking about it as a top five pick. And then I didn't understand why it was that he dropped so low. Uh, so the, that was one that I really liked. I like Trey Burke a lot. That didn't really work out uh, very well. I thought that Nerland should have been the number one pick as well. And he looked like his rookie year after missing that first year at the ACL that he might live up to that and then another guy who has kind of failed perhaps due to more head case type of concerns but yeah I mean it was not an amazing top 10 it's a a pretty inexact science here especially with no clear number one overall pick I I wasn't as low on Anthony Bennett as a lot of people but that was one of the just traditional power forward again I mean like how many busts have we seen traditional power forward type of guys I mean you just have to be so special as a traditional power forward at this point and but it it was understandable because if, if you go back to the early to mid 2000s traditional power forwards like ruled the game whether it's tim duncan before he was considered a center or kg or chris weber or dirk i mean rasheed wallace there were all these awesome traditional power forwards and whether it's because those guys are centers now or whether there just isn't the same level of talent and post-up play among power forwards as there used to be you know those sorts of players aren't playing power forward any longer um yeah no i mean certainly 2013 was a pretty good year for you i missed on Giannis after seeing him in person I thought that that actually may have hurt my evaluation in because he was just so skinny I thought he was actually pretty unathletic I mean is, how amazing is that to think of at this point but he was super young and by the time when he just came in to the preseason and I saw him and he was got this tip dunk and I was like oh wow this guy is so much more athletic than he was even six months ago I mean, just getting into an NBA strength program for like you know three or four months and all of a sudden he was like just dunking on people I was like no that that's not what he was doing over there, but he was kind of had that skinny body type, and and so that was a thought that that sort of a player maybe can really put some weight. But he was so thin; I mean, for him to be this like Adonis that he is now, you know, you never would have thought that he would have gotten it to that point. So I, I was actually I thought that it was a bit of a reach to get him at, at fifteen with Milwaukee until I saw him in that first preseason game, and then I was like, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, that was wrong.
0: I just liked his 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 skill set for a guy, his size, you know, the, the dribbling and the passing. I, I liked a lot of that. His jump shot was was a little bit wonky. A couple other guys that I liked in this draft that for, some of them worked out, some of them didn't. I was a hard advocate for Dennis Schroeder. I thought that he should have gone higher in the draft and he was better than a lot of guys that t- got taken ahead of him. Alan Crabb. I really liked him McCal. I thought that his skill set would transfer. And another one, the, a guy that I hadn't thought about in like five years, North Texas, Tony Mitchell. There were two Tony Mitchells that were, I think, in consecutive drafts. I, he was a monstrous Rebounder. I thought that he did some nice stuff. I think it was in like the FIBA U16s, and I thought that he was going to be a really intriguing player. I was angry that he fell to the second round. He ended up washing out pretty quickly. But my, the still, I, I don't know if it's still available. My favorite radio spot that I've ever done, I went on KNBR, the local Bay Area station, the day after this draft. And I trashed the Warriors because they traded out of the pick that was Rudy Gobert. And this is what my analysis was. They traded out of the pick that was Rudy Gobert. That ended up becoming Andre Robertson. And then they, they traded down to get Nedevich. And I said they should they should consider signing two guys as undrafted for agents, Matthew Delvedova and Seth Curry. And... Huh that worked out pretty well they ended up signing seth curry but um and then letting him go but i'm pretty proud of that because you know that ended up being but yeah gobert like i was gobert is the player i think in in the whole time i've ever done this where i was the most confident that i was right and everybody else was wrong like i just yeah. couldn't figure out why people didn't like him and steven adams was actually the same thing like i loved steven adams at pit I, I that was a team that i watched really closely because it was a ben Holland assistant jamie dixon that was a pit i i and I just thought he was awesome I thought he was going to be a great NBA player and
2: you know it's turned out pretty damn well well and Gobert is one of the ones where whatever scouting research at least that came to our ears and I even heard this in private conversations as well in addition to some of the stuff that was written publicly he was one of these oh does he really love basketball I mean can you imagine someone saying that about Rudy Gobert I mean when you saw his reaction to not making the all-star team and just how incredibly competitive he is and how hard he has worked on his game and how much he's improved I mean, whatever scouts came up with that idea i mean maybe it's just because like he was a french big man and we hadn't really seen the guys like that before and you know people just thought he had like some kind of an attitude or something but like i mean he looked like he was playing hard in the film that i watched he certainly played hard in the in the Eurocamp when i saw him but i mean what a complete misevaluation by most scouts to say that rudy gobert didn't care enough about basketball i mean that's insane maybe he just changed as a person or something but you know i mean obviously everybody changes as a person that's what you're trying to project i mean that was the, the fact that he had that reputation is is, you know pretty ridiculous um quick question here before we go just looking back at this draft who is the most like oh yeah that guy to you
0: i think tony mitchell from north texas because i was so into him and i was like and i had just completely forgotten that he existed like that's, that's pretty rough. S- Sergei Karasov. <laughs> oh, I the did. I did not like her. I had seen some of his play and I just didn't think he was good. Oh, I should mention this because I don't know. I know people in the Bay Area know this, but I still love this as one of the all time calls. Not that either of us made, but Marcus Thompson told Bob Myers on the day of the 2012 draft that Draymond Green was the best player he took, that he was better than Vestas, Azalea, and Harrison Barnes. And this, I've heard that Myers was kind of pissed off by it, but Marcus got that just unbelievably right.
2: All right, well, we did not get a lot of things unbelievably <laughs> right. Hopefully, hopefully this was uh, illuminating. It does seem like we're getting a little better at this. At least I am. Um, but, you know, could we well,
0: we'll get ready because an, an odd 19. year is coming, my friend.
2: Oh, God. But no, but I mean, the, like, looking back on this if i really seriously did this starting in 2014 so we've done five drafts i would say i'm only satisfied with my performance in two of them 2018 and 2016 i think the, the other ones just not i just had some really big like all you know i would if i were working for an nba team you would say it's an unacceptable miss so and sure we don't have as much information as they do but sometimes more information almost can be bad cuz you just don't know what to focus on uh when there's certain intel or or whatever so that's uh a hard business. It, it definitely is. I mean, it we we do our best. And the most important thing to remember is just that there's always going to be a, a lot of uncertainty and that you're not in And And that was one of the principles that underlied the process in Philadelphia when they said, hey, you know what? The number one thing that we're going to acknowledge is we may not be actually that good at this. And they did it with Joel Embiid probably was about the right pick there at at number six, but they made a trade to get him. Uh, And then Joel Okafor was a massive miss. I mean, those were the three. Michael Carter-Williams ended up being a pretty big miss too. Thank God for them, at least, that they traded him away. Uh, But that is a, you probably even did with the top five pick to, if you're trying to get a big star you know your hit rate's probably one in three that's what they ended up with and so that's realistically maybe it's just not possible to have a better hit rate than that but we certainly are going to endeavor to try all right thanks so much for listening and we'll be back on thursday another episode that we uh, recorded before i left for for argentina daniel i have some news to keep us current uh, as well so another two episode week this week but hope you enjoyed uh, this look back at at these last few drafts till next time